This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by Bella Catering. Bellacatering.com.au is where you can find them, one of Sydney's best catering companies. In the time of COVID, doom scrolling, political upheaval and unrest, lockdowns, craziness in the world, these guys appeal to home delivery. So while you are still teetering on how many people you're allowed at your house, whether you can or can't do Christmas, whether you can and can't do like events, why not use Bella Catering to cater them? Just take all the stress out of the cooking and get Bella Catering to do it all for you. They are awesome. We love them. Maria, Glenn, they're amazing and they've been pivotal in us getting the show out every week. Thank you so much for supporting One Heat Minute Productions. Thank you so much for listening to all the President's Minutes specifically. We have a banger of a week for you, including the 100th episode. Holy dooly. Literally can't wait to share with you some of the great guests we've got. Let's get on to the show. fundamental commitment is to the dignity of ordinary people and to make sure they can live lives of decency. So it's not an ism, no, brother. It's about decency. It's about fairness. Right. It's about the accountability of the powerful vis-a-vis those who have less power. The workplace, women dealing with the household, gays, lesbians, trans, black people, indigenous peoples, immigrants. How do we ensure that they are treated decently and that the powerful don't in any way manipulate, subjugate and exploit them? Well, I mean, if that's what democratic socialism is, then I'm basically on board. I do think that ordinary people, middle class people ought to have dignity. And I think that our current systems make it hard for them to have dignity. So I I agree with all of that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. 98 is the number, 98th minute of Alan J. Pakula and Robert Redford's 1976 Academy Award-winning masterpiece, All the President's Men, is where we are. I have had very few returning guests on this show. Unlike One Heat Minute, we had a sort of a family, a crew that came back. But I feel with Presidents, we've had such, uh, we've been blessed by an incredible roster of people to talk through in this entire project. But some people demand it. Some people are, I've had so much fun talking to. I've had so much an insightful chat. Sometimes it just sprawled all over the map, but I loved it. And I almost demand at the close of that episode that they come back because I feel like there's more to say. And that is the guy that I'm talking to today. He is the senior editor at NITV News in Oz. He is the co-host and producer of the Take It Black podcast. He is He's Jack, and Jack's back. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Jack Lattimore. Jack, welcome back to the show, my brother. Hey, Blake. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me back. You're welcome, mate. I, and it feels, you know, you were on the 71st episode, and now you're coming mm. back for the 98th. And the crazy thing is, the world almost doesn't feel the same. <laughs> it's like it's like it took 20 odd episodes, 27, 27 episodes, and and the world has changed so much again. Yeah, but then in time, you know, like that seems like maybe a week ago to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. The whole nulled sort of loop of time in lockdown uh, in Melbourne is just like that. You know, things might be three months ago or they may have happened a day or so ago. Who knows? How the hell are you Very coping? Well. I'm not. Um, <laughs> I've lost my mind. I grew my hair out. I've shaved it back again. Um, Look, the two little ones to got two little kids and um 
the returning to daycare on the 28th and we've oh known that now for about three weeks and my god my god <laughs> yeah it's dragged out looking forward to them going back i think they're looking forward to being back at daycare um the boy who is four has acquired some tremendous swearing uh, ability (laughs) he's gonna surprise and he's gonna shock you that (laughs) yeah walking around earlier uh you may have noticed if you're on twitter that with uh blackfella twitter yes has had super karaoke um i've been thoroughly enjoying and i've only just noticed yours i was watching last night i was having a blast going through karaoke last night it was very fun so I sang a bit of a fantastic Negrito song, <laughs> uh, the bullshit anthem, and it goes, uh, turn that bullshit into good shit. Um, and my son watched it, so he's been walking around the house all day <laughs> singing, turn that bullshit into good shit. Uh, so yeah, he's picked up some, some nice habits. And the little girl, well, she was a baby when lockdown started, like, you know, pretty much fresh out of the oven. And now she is a little person. So oh my, that's weird. Oh my goodness. And my, my, yeah. do, my daughter is, I think, around your son's age. And we're very lucky in New South Wales that they've been pretty consistent at daycare. There was a short window where they weren't in, but they've been able to go back. So that's been a real consistent for us in our lives, which is awesome. Um, but but the, my little girl the other day was standing in the lounge room and we have her a fake, like an old Nokia that doesn't have a SIM card and the battery is long dead. And so she sometimes like will pretend to talk on the phone. And um, I don't know if it's the fault. I tend to blame her auntie Maria Lewis, auntie Maz. I blame her uh, for this bad influence, but it's very likely me. She held the phone up to her ear and I was watching her from the couch and she goes, what the fuck are you calling me for? <laughs> and I just went, Brilliant. My jaw hit the floor and I'm like, don't react, don't respond. And her mum, I'm blessed that her mum is amazing. My wife is absolutely a genius. She's like, sweetheart, that's an adult word. That's not something for you to say. Okay. So you're not allowed to say that. All right. Please don't say that again. Otherwise you're going to be in trouble. So she did the parenting. I was just stunned mullet. And I was like, I almost had to just like concede defeat. I'm like, yep. Yep. That's me. I'm really sorry. (laughs) That's really daddy. I'm really sorry about that. So yeah. We it's, have a uh, rule. The boys are allowed to swear in the house. That's okay. Um, but you know, there's inside words and then there's yes. outside words. Yeah. So it's when he, like, we had a breakdown here. We uh, were in lockdown for, you know, uh, phase one or the first lockdown. Um, and then there was a break of about three weeks to four weeks. Yeah. And it was when he started bringing out the, what the fuck? <laughs> that's what frightened me jack i was deeply impressed that she nailed the context i was like that's good yeah like she got it she nailed it yeah um she she looks like her mom and has my personality which is not going to be it's a great mix for me in my mind that she's beautiful and she's also a ball buster so therefore i'm quite happy with both of those things Mate, thank you so much for coming back to this show. It feels like as far as um, our day-to-day news, there's still some incredible civil rights movement and, 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 and things that I think we can dig into. Mm-hmm. But the, the, there is such a meaty chunk of, of stuff that I think we can talk about after we hear the guys in the editorial room with Bradley, with Howard, with the boys now 
understanding that their story's been covered and them debriefing on all these non-denial, you know, uh, non-denial denials that are happening because I feel like any of this, this Spiro Agnew scene, all the non-denial denials, I'm like, this happens in the US politics with Pence all day. He's usually rolled out there to do a non-denial denial for some Trumpism that's gone viral, which is actually factually inaccurate or just a flat out lie or crazy. All of the people who've represented him as a media person, you know, all of his media reps, they're all having to do this all the time. In Australian media, we see this, something is said really hard line and then there's a bit of non-denial denial bits about it. So I feel like if we kick it off by watching it today, we're going to get to the scene a little bit faster. I think that'll spice spice up our conversation with so much more about what's happening. But Spira Agnew, the the current vice president of the United States, has just been on screen. We've quickly tailed off that interview and then we kick off. So 98th minute, cue it up, one hour, 37 minutes on the dial to one hour 38. Jack and I are going to watch. You guys are going to listen. We're going to come back and talk about it. Some young cheerleaders. All non-denial denials. They doubt our ancestry, but they don't say the story isn't accurate. I mean, did you understand one thing he was saying? What well, I can't figure out is what is, a, what is a real denial? Well, if they start calling us goddamn liars, we better start circling the wagons. When do you think they'll start doing it? Get out of Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, come on, what's going on with you guys at the FBI? I've been trying to get to you for weeks. Your secretary says you're not in. Last night I called you, said you couldn't talk. And this morning, as soon as our Mitchell story hit the stands, you called me and said you got to see me right away. Why? Now, you guys have been causing big trouble at the Bureau. Why? Our reports are showing up in your paper almost verbatim. I mean, you've really been on the mark, except for Mitchell. Now, we didn't have that. That he controlled the fund. Right. Our agents have been busting ass, but we're going to go back now and see if we've missed anything. Joe, what I don't understand is all the people who might know details of the bugging operation, the FBI hasn't even talked. Oh, you got to love. Firstly, there's two, two things I want to say right off the bat is any scene with Bradley is a good scene in this movie. Any minute that has Bradley in it is exciting. Secondly is... I talk in the, in the following episodes, the 99th episode, I talk about the scariest moment of this entire movie. And I actually probably, um, and people are going to hear me talk about it. The, it has a, it has a, has a little precursor, which is there's a moment when we first see Bernstein and Joe, we don't know his surname. We just know his name's Joe and he works at the FBI as an FBI agent walking around the corner and a tourist snaps a photo. And it is, it is a, that photo first that appears in sequence feels like it's just a what what you know what non-movie nerds won't know what it is, but I'll explain it. It's called an establishing shot. It's usually when you change from one location to another in a movie, you have a brief shot that sort of establishes a new location. And so sometimes you have that where it's you know you go from an office building, and so outside the establishing shot is that Bernstein and Joe are having a conversation outdoors in Washington. And you do it. So you see this guy taking a photo and you think, oh, this is an innocuous tourist shot. But knowing full well what we know that comes up in the next minute, you start to see the ramifications of the story that these guys are doing, all these non-denial denials. It's starting to get bigger. And these guys don't know how big yet, but the people who are watching them certainly do know that they are on the money. Man, it's a great minute. I marvel at how deeply you've gone into this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Jack's just smiling uh, at me like, oh man, yeah, you have gone, you, you're, you're, you're off the deep end. So I've seen this movie and I think I said last time, uh, watched it uh, back 
well, you know, a long time ago. And then again, when I was uh, in doing a master's of journalism, yeah. um, you know, you, everyone watches it. And, uh, you probably, you know, there's a subject that revolves around it inevitably <laughs> in every sort of journalism course. Um, and then I've watched it, attempted to watch it two or three times drunk. Um, <laughs> that was pretty good actually, but completely different meanings from what was intended. Um, and then just recently, the first time when we did the, the last episode, yes, um, the last minute, and I skipped through it again last night. So that's, you know, it's, it's more than five. Yeah. It's more than half a dozen times that I've seen it. And I am nowhere near in it as deep as what you are. And I just like, <laughs> you must've seen this movie so many times. I am so impressed. Look, it's um, look, I, I, impressed is a, as a, is one way to say it. And that's the <laughs> nice way. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, what do we want to talk about? What do we want to take from this minute? We've got, um, the big thing for me was, uh, Joe attempting in you know the way that I interpret it, to capture uh, the two journalists in some way, um, and a, and a couple of devices that were deployed either by the FBI or you know somebody that was involved, embroiled in it to stonewall and um, then to obtain as much information when things went a way that they perhaps didn't want it to go down that sort of direction. So. Yes. What do you want to talk about? Mate, I want to talk about everything for, for you, with you. Let's start with Bradley because let's start. That's, I think that that's, that's what we're seeing in, we see that writ large in news media every single day. And I think that and I just want to be really clear is like, you know, uh, we had a great guest, Clark White, who did the 94th minute. And she goes, I love in this movie that they say, you, you know, when they catch Mitchell on the phone late at night, which is just the scene that precedes this, he says, well, this has all been denied. And the great thing about that line is that feels so 2020, which is like, this has all been denied. And it's like, that doesn't mean it's not a lie. <laughs> a yep. denial means it's been denied and that you've got a position on it, but it doesn't actually mean that it's not factually correct. And, and so I feel like the modus operandi, like for better or worse, for, for, for politicians to deal with journalists is to talk the way, like, you know, is to learn the lessons of Watergate in the inverse, which is, we're going to deny things. We're just going to keep things in the realm of denial. We're going to keep saying that facts are fake. We're going to keep asking people to check their sources and the burden of proof is going to be on them and make it more confusing rather than, than fairly coming to an agreement of shared facts uh, to any case. And so that's what I love about this. It's like, even back then, these guys knew that like, there are people out there who are running interference right now. And we are at least comfortable that we're on the right track because the way that they're dealing with it is telling us we're on the right track. Yeah, that's kind of his, um, Dustin Hoffman's little smirk, his little smile there. Yeah. And it took me a while to pick that up, you know, what's, 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 what's all that about? But that's, he's realized that this guy's, you know, pissing in his pocket saying, you know, you've done a great job with Mitchell. We didn't have that, you know, yeah. You've, yeah. That's, you've, you've got that far and now we want to talk. And it's just that knowing, uh, little expression on his face there. Um, I love, I yeah, love that you're reading straight away. And this is what I love about talking to you, Jack. This is seeing something new. Straight away, you're like, this is almost entrapment. The FBI want to capture them on record because, and they want to start looking at them and they want to start their people recognizing that there's a dialogue between them because they're trying to control something here. They're starting to get ahead of the FBI and they're trying to 
trying to get him back in the loop, trying to catch him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, just to step back for, for a moment, the whole denial thing um, I've observed in rugby league, NRL, yeah. Yeah. particularly around um, recruitment. Mm-hmm. And you'll see, um, you know, for example, Wayne Bennett <laughs> going back from Sydney. I've read it, yeah. Wayne Bennett might be going back to the Broncos. Brisbane, yeah. yeah. And then you'll see, absolutely not. Definitely not going to happen. Hasn't spoken to anybody. The club will come out and say, deny we've had any sort of talks. And you know these days that as soon as you see anything like that, that Wayne Bennett's going back to the Broncos. Yeah, you do. Or that you know, Sam, um, what's his name, that English forward there. You know Sam Burgess. Sam Burgess. He, not, thinking about coming back. No, no, I'm not thinking about coming back. He's coming back next year. He's going to have another crack. And that's been like that for years. So you just see in you know, sport, the, the most prevalent ones in Australia, um, NRL, AFL, that they've followed the lead right out of political reporting and the obfuscation and, you know, uh, shenanigans and what, around. But Jack, sport. what's so funny is that at a pub, like with my mates, you can smell bullshit a mile away when it comes to sport and people will just be like, yeah, of course that's a lie. Of course that's yeah. obfuscation. Yeah. Like we know if it's out there and there's rugby league, like journos are on it, they're testing the waters with it. Mm-hmm. They, they actually like it's, it's been fed to them by someone so that it's out there and it's in the ether because they're, you know, uh, you know, I, I can't remember who it was very recently. It cracked me up. It was like, I don't, you know, it was literally a player and a, you probably copy paste this to 10 stories. I don't want to leave the club. I think I've got a future here at the club. Rumor is they're going to the Tigers or no, no, I'm still going at the club. Literally the next day that player's going to the Tigers. He's got a two year contract yeah. or whatever it was. It was just like James Tamo. It was who it was. I was reading the oh, NRL. Yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah. oh, I want to stay with Penrith and da, 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 but I'm not sure if I've got a place here in the cap next year. You know, I really want to stay next minute. Bang Tigers. He's already signed the contract. Like they're just fin- finalizing it. So yeah, no, it's really interesting that as a culture, it's not, even, it's not manipulation, is it? Like it's no. too, it's not cunning <laughs> enough to be. Yes. Like players agents. Are they out there going, Oh, <laughs> I'm going to pull a Swifty here. He's really happy where he is. He's not okay. Right. He's going. Yeah. Yeah. The way the journalists just in that sort of uh, example of sport journalism, why do they persist with, Oh, okay. I will say that he's happy where you just go, you know what? I'm not going to write that story. I'm going to wait 24 hours. Yeah. And I'm going to write the one where he goes across. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I mean, that's such a, like, you always smell a rat on those. And I think that, I think the best sporting journos and like when you do actually hear people who are, you know, right with their nose to the grind and they know they go, look, all this is BS. He's going. And like, they seem like they're a lunatic at the beginning. Because all the other voices are like, no, he's denied it. And why would he go back there? And, and it's like, mate, he's going. Yeah. And then they are always, the person who always seems like the outlier who doesn't know what's going on is always vindicated in every one of those conversations. And it just, and yeah, like, I guess that's where I struggle is like, when you see it from political sense, it seems to, you know, although po- politics has become so tribal, like sports, 
the same wherewithal that we have when we're looking at sporting nonsense, like the same acumen of like, that's BS. Like that guy's going, he's gone. I've heard so-and-so blah, blah, blah. The polit- political stuff is like, no, let's give him a chance. Like let's at least have yeah. the, you know what? And, and you end up going, you just need to tune, like you just need to tune your brain to whatever it has already in that sort of sporting mode to see that there's a politics for everything. There's a, there's a, there's a media speak that happens. And when you start smelling the media speak, then you need yeah. to start digging deeper and asking questions and, and being at least healthily cynical about what's being said. Yeah. And I mean, I think it was in greatest relief and you can probably hear my family screaming and stuff. Outside. <laughs> now, the development has quietened down in the backyard. The neighbors and the family <laughs> have decided to start just outside this window. Um, you see it in the greatest relief. I think a couple of years ago with, um, the various different runs at Malcolm Turnbull mm. uh, for leadership. Mm-hmm. And that was something that uh, a lot of the deniability, um, you know, what's that term that they use the stalking horse or something yes. like that. Yeah. Um, you know, the uh, Dutton was a stalking horse or that Morrison, no Dutton was a stalking horse for Morrison and um, you know, just a, different iterations of that sort of story um, and deny plenty of denials from everybody. Everyone. Prospects, uh, you know, people allegiances shifting between the different factions, and so yeah, that's that's where I kind of observe it, um, you know, as thickly. But outside of that, I mean, there's so much crazy stuff happening uh, in Australian politics. But you know, start to consider what's happening in the US in the lead up to the uh, presidential election, and I don't know. It's like, yeah denial uh, the denial denial now the dog's going off um <laughs> they seem like pretty sweet and and comfy and naive days back there because Mate. it's so psychotic now yeah. that something as simple as a you know denial <laughs> but, but, yeah at least then it was there was a decorum that once you were caught out you'd try and uh, do sort of damage control and denial kind of equals damage control in a way, um, at least to hold off. And it's like, oh, we denied it for this reason. And then, you know, now you see it with something like, you know, a lot of people since say February have been saying that Donald Trump has known how deadly the coronavirus was and that it was transmissible by air and that it was five times deadlier than the flu. And that if it came into the United States borders, it was going to be really hard to contain. There were going to be a lot of deaths. And, you know, Bob Woodward, himself now the subject of this movie and in real life did 18 hours of interviews uh, with a deal to publish that story that full story as he's done as his modus operandi is every single year since he stopped being like a full-time journal and he tells that story and now people have gone all right mr trump here's you on record saying these things he's the audio recording of the conversation and he still comes out and goes i oh no i was doing it for this reason and you're like mate you like it's a flat it's literally like going here's a videotape of you picking up a gun and shooting someone (laughs) and here's an eyewitness. And then you're like, no, but I didn't shoot them. I was protecting someone. And you're like, no, that's not in the tape. That's not in the tape. That's not around. I don't care what your motivation is. The fact of the matter is picked up the gun, you pulled the trigger, that person's now dead. And so what's funny is nothing seems to have staying power. Like this story now in this movie, we are at the moment where for one of the first times it starts to stick. Like the actual, yep. these guys have been pushing shit uphill, throwing things at like a, a move, you know, throwing little pebbles at a moving train. So it's having no impact whatsoever. Now 
it's an actual stop. Like they're pumping the brakes, things are being impacted and that just doesn't seem to happen in 2020. It's like survive the 48 hour maelstrom of crazy endless news cycle, maybe a week. Throw some more crazy in there. Throw some more more crazy. crazy. And, and then your crazy just sifts down to the bottom because it's fresher. It's just like, keep topping up the fresh crazy. (laughs) That is it. (laughs) Lashings of crazy. And I think if remember, was it Donald Rumsfeld during the 2002, 2003 sort of era Mm. um, of political machination? where he said we create our own reality yes uh, i forget the actual you know the, the direct quote but it, it went along the lines of you know we create our own facts we create our own reality and by yes. the time that you guys catch up and think that you've got a handle on that we're creating new realities and new facts yes and that you know that um epitomizes the psychosis we've reached 20, whatever it is now, 18 years later, yep. 17, 18 years later. Um, yeah. Like that. I remember Stephen Colby and maybe John Stewart were kind of interrogating that truthiness yes. at the time um, and sort of t- attempting to hold it to account by lampooning it. But, you know, again, unbelievable. That was 17 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but, it's the same thing's happening now. It's just that that is um, de rigueur and, you know, just with more lashings of craziness. Yeah. Like that's, that's the only thing. It's like, if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's the Errol Morris doco um, on Rumsfeld called the unknown known. And for anyone who's listening, if you, if you, if you get a chance, but it talks to that, you know, it's got a great poster. The poster actually says on it, why is this man smiling? And it's a picture of Rumsfeld, right? He's a, like Errol Morris, who's a great interrogator and a great, you know, documenter for, for, for the very reason that he seems to be able to cut through to people's humanity and who they are. Like he just seems completely, I, A, am raptured by Rumsfeld. Like he's fascinated by him and B, he can't crack him. Like this guy, yeah. this guy talks in circles almost better than any other human being in history because he's not, he's not really ever, he's not really ever, um, like tarred by any of this, but he's, but he's so aware of all the games that you play to sort of build all these crazy protections around you. So at the end of this thing, you come out sort of scot-free, but like absolutely should be implicated in some of the crazy war crimes of that administration all the way back then. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that occurred to me just then is um, pretty sure that was it run well, probably both Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney were young staffers at the time Yes. Um, of that era, yes. the, the minute we're looking at. So yes. you know, they, they were blooded with that, you know, yeah. those sorts of maneuverings and um, probably had their, their peak of the powers in 2002, 2003, four, um, you know, and, probably train the batch that's hovering around the, the joint like wasps. At the moment. <laughs> oh, aren't they? What? Uh, it's, um, you know, it's, that's the crazy thing is, you know, that old adage of like, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. But it's like the cult culture, culture doesn't ever just change, change hands with, who the leader is. Um, and that's something that keeps coming up on the show. It's like, if you take out a figurehead, 
whether it's a president, you know, and you, you can look at Trump and as a person who's like this mad King right now, who's just saying stuff and all these people are putting out fires around him or covering him up and just trying to maintain power. Like they've, they've got their fingernails dug into it so that they can maintain their, their, their stranglehold of power. Um, but, you know, you look at Bush and Cheney was like a puppet master to you know, sort of a, a bit of a dullard and dopey Bush, right? Like he was like the happy figurehead who would go up and was likable. And then underneath Cheney's doing all this really gnarly stuff and, you know, getting his own company to do all the army contracts and making himself a squillion dollars and shooting people in the face while hunting and all the crazy shit that happened in Cheney's life. Um, but if all these guys are around for those whole decades, as you said, there is something about and it happens in sport too. It's like the culture of the club or the culture of the administration or the culture of the political party. If you have all the same people around and they've all got the same outlook about when the part, you know, they've all got the same, you know, beautiful imagining of like what the party was at its best, at its most powerful and its most control, they're never going to change. It's just going to form part of their outlook forever. And you just get a few different iterations of the same kind of leadership all the time. Yeah, well, I was just thinking of um, Humphrey Appleby uh, from Yes Minister, Yes Prime Minister. Yes, um, yes. If listeners remember, and I've, I've read, I've, I follow the account on Twitter, and I'd read a tweet recently, didn't remember it, so I'm not going to even act as if I've got this really sharp memory. <laughs> I'd just like to quote, but I've, I've found it um, with technology, and um, it is... There are no ends in administration, only loose ends. Administration is eternal. It's like, that's right. <laughs> that's it. And if you remember that show, it was all about, you know, the minister or the prime minister doesn't run the show. Nice. So Humphrey Appleby and the other public servants. And it's about them managing the egos and expectations of these leaders um, that enter their service. Um, but nothing's changed really. I, you would think maybe Australian politics is a bit different. I don't, I don't know, but I get the sense there's a lot of, um, or a small caucus of people, uh, that seem to be making some, you know, most of the decisions, uh, at the moment, like, um, you know, uh, Dan Andrews, chairman, Dan sort of, um, attacks on the yes. Victorian Premier, and also, I guess, I haven't followed it as closely. I'm not up there, obviously. Um, the attacks on Palaszczuk uh, from the yep. same sort of small yep. group. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how that works. I mean, yeah, they got a lot to gain. Morrison has wanted to open up um, trade and, and you know commerce over uh, public health um, since whenever that was. Uh, what June, July? Whatever. Yeah, I think uh, after so, that, after yeah. that long weekend where we seemed to survive, and 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 it was prior to a, a few little bad peaks that happened in New South Wales, and then obviously the situation that led to Victoria's lockdowns. Um, you know, I think that people had hoped, you know, because you know, um, people had hoped that it was actually going to happen. I think Morrison right then started gearing like, all right, travel bubbles. <laughs> film industry mm. like get back here you know all that sort of thing and it's yeah, just taking old up. people may get sick <laughs> yeah the but, oldies you know. are not, who, who cares <laughs> but but you know uh, the thing that i've said many times and i know you're a sports fan too is like i i go back and find the tweets um because I, I and i wish I, I could get a screen grab but it was like two tweets in a row one was like america one of the states in america i think florida had hit higher numbers than italy in the total amount of deaths and cases that had happened and just underneath it 
New Zealand had cancelled all of their restrictions because of COVID. And there was a video of a stadium, a, a rugby stadium full of people hugging and crying, watching rugby live, like a packed stadium. And I was like, that's the world we live in. It's like, if the two options is more death than Italy or a stadium full of people hugging and embracing and having a great time together and crying and just like loving their national sport, I'm going to pick doing what the second one said. <laughs> I don't care. It might be tougher yeah. to start with and it might hurt us. Like, but you know, money can be made back like for a government, like money can be made back. And, and if you if you start to increase all of the production and all the manufacturing and all the stuff that changes after COVID stops existing, it's like, there will be jobs, there will be money in the country. People will be flush. It might take a year for everyone to get back. But like, we'll, we'll remember this time and like, we did it tough, but we did it the right way because, you know, I don't know about you, but you know, we, we talked about it last time about your, you know, potential trip to visit the Black Lives Matter protesters. I was talking about my trip to go to maybe LA and New York. And we were both like, those things are no longer on the cards for either of us right now. Like it doesn't even look like it's not a year. It's not even a year away. Like who knows what the hell's going to happen. And hopefully the result of the election results in people who at least believe in health science and climate <laughs> science and racial, and racial <laughs> equality. Isn't it, isn't it weird to say that? Like to hear that out loud, hopefully after your next election, <laughs> We may have people that believe in health, science. It's science. <laughs> Education. I, I, I just like, you know, there's, a, there's those fundamental things of like, we care about people's health. We care about equality, like, you know, an opportunity. Um, and, you know, that, you know, to paraphrase that great Kennedy thing, we all care about each other's, you know, our children's futures. And, you know, for me, a children's future is education. And it's like, if, if, if you're not running as those three foundational things of like health, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, civil rights and education as three main pillars of what you're, you're doing. It's like, what are we even talking about? Like what, what, how are we even having a dialogue? Like if you don't have that, then what are you even doing? Um, but yeah, man, it's a, it's a crazy, it's, it's an increasingly crazy time. I'm very, and you know, you guys are getting your share of craziness in Melbourne as well, which is, you know, it's, oh, yeah. it's you know, recently, and, and for international folks listening, there is a, an Australian football uh, league media personality who recently became a figurehead of like anti-mask protesters in Victoria, in Melbourne. Who is this? Wasn't it who Sam? Is- What's his face? Oh, he, no, no, he's not rugby league. Oh, sorry. Yes, AFL. AFL football. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. Um, Did we talk about Sam Newman last time as well? Maybe. Like, I don't know. I can't, if we're talking about I can't remember. But, I mean, yes, you're right. Um, idiot. Like, let's just put that on the table. Yes. Like, we'll start there. An idiot. A racist <laughs> idiot. Let's racist. just go that for A racist, racist idiot. idiot. Um, who was good at football for, like, five years or whatever of his life, a small <laughs> section of his existence. Um, and because he was, you know, connected, he got a whole heap of opportunities and um, became quite a wealthy middle-aged white man with, you know, self-righteous opinions. Yes. He is the spokes or a figurehead for yes. a lot of crazy people at the moment. Yes. Some of which, well, a few hundred, I think, recently um, were near my house. Really? Uh, rallying. Yeah, they came from the outer suburbs, uh, trammed in, maybe. I'm not sure how they got here. Probably drove. How did they get here? 
Anyway, they were I, here. I have no idea. They rallied to um, the park, uh, Albert Park. Uh, yes. That's near. There's a lake at Albert Park. Um, it is an old sort of swamp wetlands area that's been reclaimed. It's beautiful, manicured sort of, you know, they have the Grand Prix there yeah. um, every March. But the lake itself is kind of like, you know, although it's from an old swamp, it's man-made um, and it's full of lead and, you know, zinc and, and you know, duck shit and swan shit <laughs> and microbes and all sorts of nasties. And yeah, these people, these anti-maskers, anti-lockdown crew went down there and jumped into the lake yelling out freedom. <laughs> and I couldn't think of anything that, more disgusting. You know, captured, well, that captured perfectly um, exactly the sort of superficial approach that these people have to civil rights. Um, they fear that their rights are being taken away because in the, in the vein of, of Trump to link it back there, um, Dan Andrews has pretty much, well, it's been revealed that he has perhaps unilaterally decided that he's going to take whatever, uh, ends it, it, it involves, um, to make sure that the majority of Victorians remain COVID, you know, free. And that involves, um, implementing a, a lockdown and a curfew. And I think it might be one of the globe's strictest lockdowns or it has been, uh, and the curfew, which, um, if you were following it to the letter of the law, you were not allowed outside longer than an hour a day. Um, yeah. and that has been extended to two hours recently, the last couple of weeks. But yeah, these people, um, thought that that was impinging upon their freedom. So they went and jumped in the filthy lake <laughs> just to demonstrate that you know, they won't have that taken off them. There's a there's an author by the name of Zelina Maxwell. She's a she's based in New York. She wrote a book called The End of White Politics, which you can get now. And I follow her on Twitter. And she tweeted the other day. Uh, there was someone, a bunch of anti-maskers in Florida invaded a target and a lot of companies like Woolworths in Australia or target over in the States and things like that have, they haven't gone by what the state's doing because the legislations are so weird in the different States about what they're doing. They just have a national view of like, if you come into one of our stores, you wear a mask. Like they basically just like, they don't, they want to protect their staff and they want to protect themselves from lawsuits or any kind of deaths or things like that will come to. So they're just like, if you wear a mask in our store, we protect our staff. Our staff can still work. They don't get COVID etc. Um, and anyway, so someone had filmed like a footage that something is now has had 36 million views of anti-maskers in Florida jumping up and down, a whole bunch of white people um, jumping up and down um, in, in, in a target, some of them wearing MAGA hats. And she mm. wrote this, it's maybe 10 or 11 words tweet. And I just wanted to read it to you because it resonated so deeply with me, which is, you only look at masks as oppression if you've never experienced any. Yep. And Absolutely. I cannot, uh, and, and I, I retweeted and said so emphatically this, because what I, you know, the, in the world that we're in, if, if protecting the health of your community is oppression, like you're wired wrong. Like, I just don't understand like that. You know, I remember seeing, you saw some of those sort of worst examples that kind of hit the newsstands of, you know, people going, yeah, I don't care. You're like, you know, if I get COVID, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care. I'm not going to get sick. And someone's like, what if someone in your family is elderly or, you know, has a you know, 
pre-existing condition that's going to impact them and make them sick. And they're like, I don't care. And you're like, cool. So dead grandma or, or, or wear a mask. It's like, it's like, I don't understand how people can't put two and two together. Like I've got elderly relatives who they live within five K's of me within five K's. So very close. And I have not gone Mm. near them since Mm. before March. You know, I haven't got, I haven't gone even close to the house because I'm like, if one day one of my kids happens to go to daycare because in New South Wales, I still go to daycare and one of those kids get it and we come home and then I start getting the sniffles and I need to go get a COVID test and I find out that I've gotten it through my kids and my kids have got it. It's like that I, I would, it would, it would kill me inside to think that I'd given it to someone who was older and my wife, um, you know, my mother-in-law, yeah. she's got um, uh, pre-existing conditions that would like, you know, make it really hard for her if she got COVID. So um, I just, just don't understand it. Man, like you understand it for say, I don't know, like seven, 16, 17, 18, 19, young twenties, you know, with that self-righteous, I don't care, you know, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> everyone for their own, everyone, each to their own, whatever, um, carry your own water, you know, that sort of mentality, <laughs> but you don't expect their parents or, you know, their older brothers, whatever, 30 to 40 to 50 year old in their life saying, yeah, man, you're on the right track there. <laughs> you sort of expect people with that sort of maturity to go, look, you know, pull your head in, have a little bit of wider consideration for your fellow human, um, you know, get your head out of your ass. But that hasn't happened. And you have got clowns like Sam Newman um, antagonizing people, but not only Sam Newman, like let's just disregard that idiot. You know, yes, completely. He, he doesn't, he's hardly an influential sort of important <laughs> enough person, but um, getting back to media, the heavily concentrated, um, you know, above 80% news corp um, yeah. media in Australia has done the same thing. And, you know, people like Newman take the lead from what he's reading uh, all around the joint and watching all the listening to all around the joint. And they have gone, you know, really hard. Well, one against Dan Andrews because, well, for a whole heap of reasons, but let's just stick it with the COVID lockdown one uh, for now and take it at, you know, face value. Um, so they've gone him and you do have people that should know better. Um, not opposing Dan, like outright hating him. Like not just yeah. taking a, a rational, reasonable sort of, oh, well, you know, I voted for Dan last time, but I don't agree with the lockdowns because I need to get back to work and the death toll isn't as great as we're all, you know, other places in the world. So maybe if they opened up and we could eat outside, I could get back into the kitchen and work or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, they just on principle and led by the nose of News Corp media outright hate Dan and probably genuinely think he's, you know, got the qualities of a dictator because that's what they're seeing and hearing and everything. And that is weird to me. Like there's the, the lack of critical thinking, just, you know, basic run of the mill daily critical functioning sort of thinking um, absent from people that are my friends. It's weird. <laughs> and, you know, uh, my wife has said she uh, used to work, for News Corp. Um, yes. And she's prided herself, she was saying the other day, I've prided myself on having friends of all political persuasions and things like that, like we all you know, yeah. give lip service to. Um, <laughs> and, but she said, I've started, you know, brushing people from the 
uh, well, from our social circles, which consist of social media at the moment. Um, yeah, just brush them. You know, that's can't put up with it. Might keep one or two that you know have redeeming qualities or whatever, but just no time anymore. And I think a lot of people in Victoria, it's been a bit of a reckoning in more ways than one. A lot of people have just drawn a line and going, you know what? If you're anti-Dan sort of radicalism um, seems to be blurring across into QAnon 5G towers world, then, you know, we can't really be friends anymore because you can only put up with so many fucking Zoom talks. Sorry about swearing. (laughs) You can only put up with so many Zoom sessions with people like that before, you know, you're no, what you're you're, you're a braver. You you guys are braver than me. Which is one QAnon talk. It's like, did you just say QAnon? <laughs> okay, okay, well this is we're finished. Thank you very much. We'll we will see but yourself what, out of the zoo. Uh, like what in Australia the QAnon stuff? That's the other thing. Like it's it, it it's this is the um I I also think you know when people get trapped into their socials like in the best possible way, and I like on social media, a couple of things can happen and there's like a couple of scenarios and it, it ha- and it happens. It's also about like the, you know, the greasiest wheel gets the most, uh, sorry, the, 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 you know, the, the noisiest wheel gets the most grease um, in that. I think your nutbag, your one nutbag friend out of a hundred posts more than any of your other friends. Like we've got a WhatsApp group with all of our friend group. And like one of my mates is like, really anti-authoritarian, but he's like on the, he's on the, I would say he's on, on the razor's edge of a QAnon guy. Like he's like conspiratorial. And I remember right at the beginning of COVID when we were talking about lockdowns and people were talking about care and everyone started going haywire. And even one of my mates who loves just baiting him was starting to like bait this guy in our group. Like, you know, keep going, keep going. And then it got to this point and I was just like, Hey guys, see you when this is over. And I just like, I just exited the group. (laughs) Cause I'm like, this can't, I can't have this in my, I can't have this in my brain. And then I go to my other social media and I meet people like you and I meet rational people and I meet great people that are around. And so I, I genuinely think some of those others just, they, they're, because they're like in this constant state of like trolling almost like, and challenging, mm-hmm. or where did you fact checking? I just, I'll give a couple of, I might give a glancing block going, stop, where have you read this? Like, where's your sources? And like, it's on Reddit. Yep. I'm like, no, thanks. Yep. Like, give me a, give me, give me a peer reviewed source where you found some data <laughs> and then we can talk. But like, I'll go way back to Blake, the tutor from the university of Newcastle in 2008 and be like, if you didn't get this from a peer reviewed source, I don't want to read it. See you later. Like that's, that's done. Um, but yeah, that's where I kind of like will give them and I'll go, look, that's interesting, but I think you should find better sources. And if they're not willing to hear that, it's like, well, then we can't, we're not going to have a dialogue. I'm not going to, not going to. And, and even, you know, I spoke to another great guest at the show, Ify Wadiway, who's an African-American guy in LA. And he's like, man, if people stop, if people, if we start to have a dialogue and someone goes into like, goes off the reservation and stops talking about people like civil rights and starts like immediately can't be reasoned with. And that is not just a foundational belief that, you know, civil rights is important, you know, inequality is important and that, and that, you know, prejudices and things like that have been dominant because of colonial forces all around the world or whatever you want to start the dialogue He's like, as soon as that happens, I go, he goes, I block them. Cause you kind of know right then and there that yeah. if you can't have a, 
it, you've, yeah. you've, you've gone past the realm of crazy. Like, you know, we talk about denial in here, but it's like, if you can't agree that people should be equal and that people should be able mm. to worship what they want and be happy as long as they're not hurting anyone. And that people, if they, if they have a, a different pronoun to you and you want to be respectful and you can just say a new pronoun because that makes them feel not shit. Um, you know, you might not be able to say it straight away. You might need to be educated, but if you just can say it, cause it's as easy as saying a please or a fucking thank you, then that's good. Like we can start, if we start there, if we start there, we can have any dialogue you want. We can disagree with, we can then go, yes, maybe that lockdown was a bit hard. You know, yes, it was hard. Maybe they could have done this. It's been done differently in other countries. But I also go, but at the end of the day, if you're the guy that's in charge, don't you want to seem to be doing everything to protect human life? And I would yeah. tend to be more extreme to make sure that people were safe. Well, it's that juncture right there is where it gets personal for me. Yes. And that's, you know, friends, relatives that have an issue with, things being shut or restrictions being in put on aspects of their life for a period of time cannot get their head around that. If someone like me who has a chronic respiratory illness, yes. Um, contracts this, uh, coronavirus, I will be dead. There is no, there is no other option of, oh, well, you know, I'll fight it. I may have to endure six months of, you know, getting over it or, you know, flashback symptoms or whatever it may be. I will be dead. It will get my lungs, you know, surround them in that, <laughs> you know, that's been described as some sort of casing um, and it'll squeeze them or expand them or whatever it does. And I will not last very long. I'll be dead. Um Communities like me, Aboriginal communities who have the same respiratory, chronic respiratory illnesses and other uh, yeah. chronic illnesses and diseases, they'll be dead as well. So when yes. this virus gets in there, it will just, you know, and it's been said in Australia, in media and, you know, public health um, announcements and everything, it's, it will devastate not only communities, but generations forward and backward yes so much knowledge and culture will be lost because it'll wipe out everyone or all the key people from a certain age up and then you know um the impact of that going forward is that people will you'll see all of the gaps that contribute to you know things like um uh health disparities education disparity Trouble, trouble with uh, housing, incarceration, so much. Like just oh, it's 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 it's, it's matrix ex- of stuff. It's a, a, it will- exponentially make it worse. It'll just it'll yeah. just gut it. And and you know, like, and not to put too fine a point on it. Like, I'm a young, fit guy, but like, if you get a bad virus, I had a bad virus like two years ago. This is pre pre COVID. I had a bad virus Ooh. for the first time in a couple of years, like a bad one. And yeah. I, I, I had asthma as a kid that went away. I re-got asthma. Like I had a virus yeah. for like a month. It destroyed me respiratorily. Couldn't work out. Couldn't keep fit. Like nothing that I'd done at peak physical fitness that had got me to that stage of my life could protect me. I got it. I got it bad. It was one of my kids. 
he got it from daycare, brought it home to dad. It wasn't good for me. They got over it in a few days. It took me two months to get over. Mm. And there was still latent asthmatic effects. Like even later on when I was working out, I'd still take a Ventolin puff out of the gym because I couldn't do it. Like it's like, and walking up a hill like that I used to be able to do easily. Like it got hard. Like I just think of that experience and what I've heard with COVID and people losing their sense of smell and all that crazy shit. And I'm just like, you know, you go back to this, you go back to this text and this show and the reason that I do it is, and I keep looking back at these, these things where these guys are talking and, and they're talking about news is this is the most universal truth that we have in our society right now. And there are still so many people cannot accept it. And the, the receipts are bodies. Like the receipts are the collapse of the economy. The receipts are your dead grandma. And, or if you have a relative in an old folks home, you can't visit them anymore because it's done. Like you can't go there. Like they have it locked down so that no visitors can go in there. Like I, I just, I'm a forward. Str- it's forward as well. Like you yes. go and remember people forget, particularly with young ones that um, my, my son, he hasn't been able to go to swimming lessons yes. for the last six months. He doesn't know how to swim. Yes. Like the, the, the daughter for the last six months hasn't seen her grandparents. So when they come around, she thinks that they're monsters yeah. and yeah, let's face it. You know, <laughs> She's but, not wrong. She's not completely wrong. <laughs> He's not completely wrong. <laughs> but um, you know, little things like that, that people, I was talking with friends in New South Wales and they hadn't um, considered these sorts of things, you know, the impacts, these knock on effects. Oh, that will continue to impact my, you know, my son is probably should go to, or will probably should have started um, like primary school next year. Um, And he won't do that because he's not ready now that he's not been in daycare for six months or so. So he's going to carry over and go when he's six and what that's going to have an effect on him down the track as well. Yeah. He's going to be, you know, in year uh, 12 or whatever, he'll be, 18 for the 18 for most of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and he's going to want to go out. That's going to impact upon him. Yeah. (laughs) He's going to have to drive. I was one of the, I I was one. (laughs) You're now the designated driver. Um, I like, (laughs) I I, I was one of those kids. This is what I find being blessed. I was like, I was one of those kids who like, I didn't turn 18 until the year after I finished school. So I was one of those things where your mates buying your boots. So I, I got the, like, uh, when I look back on, I'm like, actually that's better. Because if you're, if like, cause I had mates who like turned 18 in March and April and were out. And I like mates yep. I played footy with and stuff. And man, like they would go out and get loosey goosey. And I'm like, I'm at home on a Friday night. Like I can't wait to play footy on the Saturday. And they'd roll up like just total that footy yeah. the next day. Yep. Um, you know, it is, they're, they're the things that I think, you know, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm excited for like the, the, the human element of journalism and the important storytelling that's going to happen about like societally and culturally, what we're going to have to contend with next year, you know, like from people such as yourself and mm. the great publications you do of like how we actually address these big things and how we can better serve our communities to help like push people faster and farther because it's going to be so hard. Mate. I love talking to you on the show. Thank you so much yeah. for being a part of it again. Um, I know it's been no a massively digression laden show, but I, I, I love it for that very reason. Um, and I just want to say thank you. And I want to say, I can't wait for you to get out, uh, of the full lockdown, but you guys have done such an amazing job in Victor, like turn around that spike, that spike went up, but you guys have drastically yeah. curbed it. And, 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 um, and also, uh, 
you know, look. Look, let's talk could... again in the future, right? Yes, yes. Three, sometime three weeks or longer from now, <laughs> see what kind of character I am when I'm free range. <laughs> when he's a I'm free like... range Jack Lattimore. Oh my goodness. That might be completely different. I don't know. I, I'm looking I've forward. forgotten who I was. I'm looking forward to free range Jack Lattimore. Mate, thank you so much for being a part of the show. You're the best. I'll talk to you soon. Take care of yourself. No worries. Thanks for having me. That was once again the awesome Jack Lattimore. Love having Jack on the show. So good. And we end up going all over the map. You can find Jack at at Lattimore Jack on Twitter. Um, you can also find him at the Take It Black podcast, wherever you get your podcasts and all those sorts of things. Um, and uh, that's probably the best leap off point for him. Thank you so much again for being a part of the show, Jack. Guys, thank you so much for listening to all the President's Minutes and all of One Heat Minute Productions. If you can, we would love if you could hit a subscribe, rate, review. If this is the first time you're listening to the show, we have a bunch of shows. One Heat Minute, the last 12 minutes of the Mohicans, Increment Vice, Josie and the podcasts, Miami Nice as well. Wow, and more exciting shows coming up. If you can support us just by sharing, that would be amazing. Retweet, like, hit us up in an Instagram story, something that's amazing. Follow us on Spotify. Any of those things are a huge help. If you do have a little bit of extra scratch though, One Heat Minute is at Patreon in Patreon forward slash One Heat Minute. You can find where to donate. Donate in a couple of tiers, get a bonus podcast, help support all the shows we do. Otherwise, follow the show at ATPM Pod on Twitter. Follow myself, One Blake Minute, on both Twitter and Instagram. Follow us at oneheatminute.com. Send us an email at mail one heat minute. We'll catch you on the 99th episode coming soon.